be seated and we're going to be turning in our Bibles in just a moment to John chapter 12. And as we do, let me thank you again for your faithfulness again this week. We had uh, folks that mailed in their tithes and offerings and faithfully support the work of God here. How we thank you and praise God for you that you are faithful in this matter. And the work of God goes on and the ministries around the world with missionaries reaching the lost goes on. It continues. Praise the Lord for that. So you can mail it in. I had somebody ask uh, just yesterday by way of text, uh, can we do this some other method like PayPal or, or Zelle or some other method? And I said, we're not set up for that right now. The old-fashioned method of, of uh, either mailing it in or bringing it in is pre preferred and we appreciate your faithfulness. Thank you for asking. And that's one thing about this great congregation that God has assembled. Uh, we don't have to browbeat anybody uh, to do the thing that they know is right. God is moving on hearts. And so we don't have to hammer just uh, passages of Scripture about financial giving, but rather the Lord is speaking to hearts. And through you, God is keeping this work going. How we praise God for you. Now, we're turning to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. On your bulletin, if you're present with us, you see a portion of the verse uh, that we're looking at. Chapter 12 and verses 12 and 13. Chapter 12 of John, verses 12 and 13. And it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. A most unusual parade occurred about 2,000 years ago on the streets of Jerusalem. The folks that spontaneously welcomed Jesus Christ riding in on a little donkey, a humble donkey, formed a most unusual parade. In memory of that, and, uh, and to symbolize that, every year that I've been here with you, we've done something special on Palm Sunday. And we've purchased palms. They were not available this year due to the current challenge that we're facing. I could have brought uh, an artificial palm and show you it. There are many different kinds of palms. They were, they were, uh, there were various kinds in Jerusalem in those days. In our former ministry, we had one or two palm trees on the property there in California where palms grow like they do in Florida and other places with that climate. And uh, the particular palm tree I'm thinking about got very tall and it needed maintenance. It needed, it needed work on it. And when they went to, to trim it up and make it look sharp, why well, they found out that it was a dwelling place of bats, at least at nighttime. They liked to hang out there. Now, the boys and girls uh, who had tormented those poor creatures uh, on occasion could have told the, the workers that the bats were there, that they had made that their home and they were being disturbed and so forth. But uh, it was a very tall tree and uh, it had uh, uh, many of the palm leaves or branches uh, to, uh, to spare as did those palms in the days of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So I can just, I can just picture. I want to go back in my mind. When I was a little boy, we used to take note of parades. Uh, my mom and dad annually would tune in the Rose Bowl parade on New Year's Day. And we'd have to get up early and, and we'd watch the Rose Bowl parade and they'd have all these floats come through with, you know, just thousands and thousands of blooms on them. I, I recall also seeing the, the Macy uh, Thanksgiving Day parade and other parades as well. When I think of a parade, I think of the John Philip Sousa marches. And I know that's very traditional, but I'm a traditional guy in that respect. And uh, how that just makes you want to stand straighter. And how that makes you uh, just want to listen and smile more broadly. Uh, that kind of music. John Philip Sousa. Whenever a parade begins, you look for the beginning and you wait for the ending and everything in between. And you try, try to take it all in. And it is a, a, a visual, a sensory, uh, a sensory event that you kind of take it all in. You know, it's a parade. People are gathering and you'd have difficulty with the parade now with the social distancing that is prevalent. But I remember those parades in Marysville, California, where we pastored for a number of years. I became the MC of the Christmas parade. And as such, we were able to do something very unusual, even though it is a secular society, because I knew the people who were in charge and they uh, were using my ability to announce as the MC between events, between participants. We had a gospel quartet and we would sing a gospel song. So there would be such and so elementary school or junior high or senior high band. And then after they'd go by, uh, guys would step up to the microphones and, and we'd sing a good old southern gospel song. And then there'd be a, another group come by and I'd MC and then boom, we'd get up and we'd sing another song. And after it was over, we got permission. Uh, to, to go out on the main level there uh, in a kind of grassy area and put a, a full sing-along gospel song and the people would come and gather. And so we were able to put a proper, a good, godly emphasis on the Christmas parade in those years. So I rem remember parades and I remember uh, these things in my life and I know that a parade involves anticipation and preparation. And I know that uh, people are waiting for the parade. They're waiting for the parade to come by them. They're, they're looking, they're straining their eyes and looking and listening for the parade to develop. Uh, we, uh, we love different things and we like different things. And there are people who say, well, I like the bands. Or somebody else might say, well, I, I like the floats or I like this or, or I like that. And so that differentiates and divides and separates us because different people have different tastes when it comes to different parades. In the parade that was that first entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, riding on that humble donkey, there was only one event, only one venue. That was it. He was it. That was it. What a strange parade. What we look at, how we look at it, marks the differences between us. But I learned something from this very important event. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there were several groups of people present. And those groups of people were differentiated by those who knew what they were looking at and believed on Him. Those who had no clue what they were looking at. And then there were those who were looking on Him and knew who He was. 
but they didn't accept him. And today we have folks that are saved and we have folks that are lost. And the lost are divided into those two categories. Those who don't yet understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished for them. And then there are those who have heard, who have seen, but have not yet believed. They haven't called on the name of the Lord. I know the importance of an event such as Jesus riding into Jerusalem is not based on the size or the number of the event. I know that the spiritual importance of the event is not determined by its lasting popularity. I know that the spiritual value of this event is not determined by a full understanding by some group of observers. I know this, that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, He was fulfilling Scripture. And in fulfilling Scripture, He was once again demonstrating that He is the Son of God and God the Son. He is God in a body and He was the Savior of the world. He was the Lamb of God who was going to be slain for the sins of all mankind. Let's just ask God to bless as we take in the entire text and understand how it applies to us today. Father, we thank you for the Word of God and we thank you that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to apply the truth today and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We could back it up a little bit and we would find in chapter 12 that Jesus comes to Bethany. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, a week before all of those events that would take place in the Passion of the Christ, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Now the importance of that three-letter word, had. Last week I preached on Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, on our having an atmosphere of life because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this was a very important event, so much so that as we read later on in this chapter, why the, the Jews were very concerned about the evidence of the power of God in the person and the raising of Lazarus from the dead, so much so that they wanted to assassinate him. How interesting is that? So Jesus uh, comes to Bethany, and there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then Mary, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor, odor of the ointment, the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Understand that in those days, when a penny was spoken of, it was the equivalent of one day's wage. So we're talking about what, and you can com compute, what you would earn in about 10 months' time. About 10 months' worth of labor. Can you imagine how much money that this ointment was worth? And Judas was thinking about what the money was worth. This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So we have the character of Judas Iscariot who would betray Christ, already in the process of doing that, making plans to do that. And uh, he was thinking about money. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. 
For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Here's a lesson. When the Lord Jesus Christ raises us from spiritual death, there ought to be some curiosity on the part of people who knew us before. Folks that knew us when we were spiritually dead ought to be interested in seeing what kind of a change has taken, a, taken place in our life when we're spiritually alive. Jesus Christ can do that today. A greater miracle than raising a person from the dead is to raise, uh, raising a person from spiritual death to spiritual life. And there ought to be a curiosity. There ought to be an interest. There ought to be people saying, what is it that's different? Whatever happened to you? What is it that's caused this change in you? The way you face life's challenges, the way you deal with every day, the way you are in your demeanor, in your speech, and in your activities, why you're not the same person. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things, not something, all things, everything seen differently. Everything is approached differently. Everything is handled differently. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. The hands with which you handle are redeemed hands. The heart with which you feel and sense is a redeemed heart. The mind with which you perceive is a redeemed mind. The, the life that you now have is a redeemed life. You're no longer the same. You're not the same as you once were. You'll never be the same again. You can't be the same. You can't go back because of the transformative power of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. So they came to see Lazarus. I wonder, could it be said that they come to see us? They come to watch us. Oh yes, oh yes. We have Mary of Bethany. And she's doing what has been done before, not by her, but by another woman. So this same activity, at least twice in the Gospels, is repeated. Why is that? Same reason we have the miracle of the fishes. Why we have the loaves and the fishes. Things are repeated. God's trying to get our attention. God's saying this is important. I used to have a science teacher in ninth grade. He was a very soft-spoken man, but he would say this. Pay attention, students. This will be on the test. This is important. Get this. Get this. So well, I wish I had a teacher like that to tell us what's on the test. At least he gave us ample warnings. This is going to be on the test. You better learn this. You better learn this. And this is going to become part of the fabric of our spiritual experience. Being, being given a very clear picture of how important an event the passion of Christ would be. Mary of Bethany got it. She understood that Jesus was going to die. She anointed him with this very expensive ointment. It is speculated then that that aroma that filled the house also lingered with the Savior. And he took it with him for the next six days. And as he is going through the experiences leading up to the cross, as he's kneeling in Gethsemane and he is praying, there is that aroma. As he is taken by those who have come to, to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane, that aroma lingers. As he is taken and tried illegally at night, that aroma lingers with him. And as he is taken out the next day and he is beaten and he is taken to the cross and there he is crucified. As the lash rips open his flesh, the aroma bursts forth. That aroma that reminds us that somebody got it. Somebody understood that Jesus Christ had to die. That he had to be the Lamb of God. That he had to take our place. 
We don't get to heaven because we're good. We get to heaven because God is good. We get to heaven because God provided His Son in our place. And that aroma filled the room and that aroma filled the atmosphere and that aroma may have filled the air as Jesus hangs on the cross. So bloodied, so beaten, so ripped apart. The Bible says that His countenance, His visage, visage was marred. You could not even tell that He was a man. He was so beaten up. But that aroma lingers reminding us that Mary got it. She understood it. She knew what it was about. She knew her master, her Lord, her Savior was going to go to the cross. It would be for her sins and the sins of the whole world. Sir, ma'am, for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ experienced that. We read in the book of Philippians about the humbling of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn there with me. Philippians, in chapter number 2 and verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man Look at the next three words. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's stop there for just a moment. Looming before him is the cross, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself in his incarnation. He humbled himself in his life, being a carpenter. He humbled himself in his ministry, sleeping under the stars, not having a, a pillow even to lay his head on. He humbled himself in giving of himself without fighting back, but allowing himself to be taken and tried and beaten and abused and crucified. He humbled himself in his death. Think about it. Only after his resurrection in power, only after he came forth by that great power do we begin to see the glory of God. Until that time, the glory of God was contained within this humbled individual, this man who humbled himself. Oh yes, he's God in a body. He never ceased to be God in a body. But he allowed himself to be subject to the will of the Father, the direction of the Holy Spirit, as should you and I, as should we. We should humble ourselves. Humble, humble ourselves. Proverbs 15, says, Before honor is humility. Before he is proclaimed Lord of lords and King of kings, before he is uh, the one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, he is the one who humbled himself to become obedient unto death. I don't know what you're going through or what God has scheduled for you in your life and your experience, but there may be a humbling. And if we don't humble ourselves, he will humble us. God knows how to bring us through whatever it is necessary to humble ourselves to be usable for His glory. If Jesus Christ could humble Himself, we ought to humble ourselves. If Jesus Christ could be in that position of humility, so could we. Spurgeon says you must grow downward so that you may grow upward. For the sweetest fellowship with heaven is to be had by humble souls. And by them alone. God will deny no blessing to a thoroughly humbled 
spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now there are all the treasures, all of the mighty riches of glory are to be found there. But we must humble ourselves to be used by God. He has wisely said, Spurgeon has said, if you do not receive a blessing, it is because it is not safe for you to have one. Think about that. The whole treasury of God will be given as a gift to the soul that is humble enough to be able to receive it without growing proud because of it. So if God has blessed your life, don't become proud over it. Instead, remain as Jesus did. Humble yourself. If you don't receive a blessing, it's because it's not safe for you and for me to have a blessing from God. We cannot be trusted with that blessing if we become proud over the blessing. The treasures of glory, I'm talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about things uh, that you can't even think about, that you can't even begin to approach mentally and spiritually until you're facing the challenges of life that require those blessings, those things that God will provide. We can't even receive it if we become proud over it. So that's why we humble ourselves. And that's why Jesus Christ humbled himself so that we would be humbled. Today I'm telling you, God has blessings for you. He has the, the benefits. He has the enablements for you to go through. But you're not going to receive it if you become proud over it. If our Heavenly Father were to let your unhumbled spirit win a victory in His holy war, you would steal the crown for yourself and you would meet with a new enemy, pride, and you would fall victim to it. The Lord Jesus Christ knelt and prayed. And as He knelt and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. One writer has said, without a doubt, He could hear the cackling of the demons of hell. He could hear all of the enemies of, of His soul and our soul around Him. For as He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, He knew what? what was to come. He knew that he would experience a spiritual hell. He would experience that on the cross for every one of us. And he would go through for us. He had humbled himself and God would enable him as the God-man to come through that horrific experience for you and for me. He would take upon himself all of our punishment. He would take upon himself all of our sins and all of the guilt and all of the a punishment for our sins. And He did that for you and He did that for me. He did it because we, we would have to go to hell ourselves if He did not. All the way to Calvary, He bore a cross. And it was painful and you say, how could He do that having been so beaten and so abused? But He bore His cross so that He could rightly teach us that every day we take up our cross and we bear it for His glory and for His purposes, whatever they may be. It has been pointed out there's a heavy end and a light end. And he, he bears that heavy end and we bear the light end. And we, we are in a partnership with the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't bear the cross alone and all the world go free. We have a cross. There's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for you and a cross for me. It's, it's the cross that is carried so that we can identify with Him. And even in this life, we can identify with what Jesus Christ went through. Oh, yes. Oh yes, there was a day when the parade formed. But what you see in a parade and how you look at what you see 
differentiates you and me from others. They were looking at the one who would become their sacrifice. They were looking at the one after the sacrifice that would be raised up. As the scriptures declare in Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Thank God for Jesus Christ and his exaltation, but before honor is humility. Before he could ever experience that exaltation, he had to do what we're reading about today. The chief priests, in verse number 10 of John 12, consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They were planning to assassinate Lazarus. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Think about that. Could it be said of you and of me that because of our testimony, because of our life and our witness, that many who were lost are now found. Many who were unsaved previously are now saved and praise the Lord. Then it says, but the chief priests, what did they do? They consulted. They consulted. We're going to see them again. On the next day, the people that were come to the feast. So we have the priests, we have those that are consulting with them, and now we have much people that were come to the feast that we read about. They, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. How did they hear that? The words proclaimed, it was, it was exclaimed, there's an exclamation that, that, that they are likewise responsible for. Hosanna! It's, a, it's an exclamation of praise and exaltation. But they had heard that He was coming. How will people know unless we tell them? How will people hear unless we're the ones who are telling them? They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. One year when we distributed palm branches throughout the congregation, I said at the invitation, I want you to come and praise the Lord. And another time I said, I want you to come and have a word with the Lord and pray and, uh, and tell Him what's on your heart. And there are many, many applications to this. But these people were participants. They took palm branches. I want you to see how important this is. First of all, they heard that Jesus was coming. My friend, what are you hearing and what are you telling? If what's in the sound of your voice and what's coming in your ears is all negative and is all of this world, then, uh, then you've got the wrong thing that you're saying and the wrong thing that you're hearing. Uh, through every experience, through every trial, through every difficulty that we are facing, we ought to be speaking the name of Jesus and His praises and glorifying Him and lifting up Jesus Christ no matter what. Somebody says, how have you been? And you say, well, uh, I've been feeling well. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, well uh, I, do you have enough things? Yes, by, by the grace of God, He's provided all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Listen, what's coming out of your mouth? What's going in your ears? They heard that Jesus was coming. That's number one and very important. What you're feeding your spirit right now. What you're taking in. There are people right now who are filled with gloom. And in effect, what they have done, as real as the challenge is, they've made one vital mistake. They put coronavirus on the throne instead of the Christ on the throne. They put what's the matter uh, on the throne instead of who's the master on the throne. They put a situation on the throne instead of the Savior who's on the throne. And today, if you see that that's your situation, take a lesson, take a page from those who cried Hosanna. They heard that Jesus was coming. Jesus is still on the throne. Praise God. They took the branches of palm trees. 
My second question might be after what are you hearing and what are you saying? My second question might be, what are you doing? What are you doing? You say, well, there's not just there's not a whole lot I can do. I just kind of walk circles, you know, kind of like a dog looking for a place to lie down, you know. Just kind of walk circles. No, listen, if nothing else, you can pray. And you can sing praises. Say, well, I can't sing on tune. Well, you haven't been listening to my devotional. Amen. You just make a joyful noise. That's what you do. And, uh, and it's going to bring a smile one way or another. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and what else can you do? You can speak up for Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know who's coming by. Somebody's going to deliver a package. Somebody's going to walk down the street and say, hey, I'll, I'll keep my, my social distancing here. But I want to tell you, did you know Jesus loves you? You know that Jesus is still the answer. And it's the Christ on the throne, not the coronavirus. The Christ. Oh, I understand how serious it is. I understand we're supposed to take precautions. And we do. We do that. We urge people to be wise. But what are you doing? What are you doing? They took branches of palm trees. Palm trees would have been plentiful. Palm branches would have been available. But they had to take them. In other words, a palm branch won't jump off the tree into your hand. They had to take them. Required something. They had to make a decision. They decided to do this. And so they're tearing them down. I don't know who the first man or woman was, or maybe it was a kid that climbed up the palm tree and tore down a branch. But they started, and then they all tore down branches. They took branches of palm trees, and they, they did something. Now, what did they do? Number three, they cried, Hosanna. So, what are you hearing? What are you doing? What are you saying? Who are you praising? Who are you lifting up? They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is prophesied in Zechariah the, the prophet and it is recorded for us in the Gospels. And there are different details that are given to us. And I would urge you, I would urge you to take your Bible today and for this afternoon, give some time to the good things of the Lord and read the parallel passages of His coming into Jerusalem on that special day. Verse 16. These things understood not His disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remember they, th these things were written of Him and that they had done these things unto Him. So they didn't put it all together all at once. By the way, when you get saved, you don't understand everything about the Christian life. It is progressive revelation. You begin to understand little by little by little and more and more and more. And pretty soon you got more of it and then you understand more of it. And by the end, you got enough to function in your Christian life. I'm telling you right now, there is no person who knows everything there is to know. There's not even any person who knows everything that's in the Bible uh, except for the Lord. Probably the devil knows the, the Bible better than we do. But we ought to be in the Word of God until the Word of God gets into us. But as you do that, certain pieces are going to come together. And it's like the light bulb goes on and you say, you know what? That's similar to this passage over here. And you compare Scripture with Scripture. And that's how you have a more complete understanding. That's what reference Bibles seek to do. They, they, that's what the chain 
verses, uh, chain references tend to do. And you study the Word of God and you keep a notebook and you understand. And later on you say, you know what? When I first got saved, I didn't get this, but now I get this. I didn't understand this so well, but now I understand it. And every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Uh, I understand it better and better and better and more and more. More about Jesus, would I know? More of His love to others show. show. Uh, And I want to be one of those who's getting more. I don't want to stalemate. I don't want to stall in the road spiritually. I wonder... How many like that? I'll, I'll never forget my teenage years were spent up in Minnesota. And in Minnesota, they get quite a bit of snow. And when they get a, a lot of it all at once, why, not only do cars not go on the street very well, but a lot of them get stuck in the ditch or get stuck sideways or get stuck in a place where they can't get out. And tires spin and they're just stuck there and it's hopeless until... They can be dug out or till someone can tow them out, and that's the way it is. I can remember times when the snow was so bad that people just abandoned their vehicles and left them because they couldn't make them go. They were stuck alongside the road. Uh, there have been times when I've made the mistake of going on soft ground and I've gotten stuck bogged down in the mud. Maybe you can recall that too. And there's nothing more frustrating than spinning your wheels, spinning your tires. And nothing, I mean, not making any progress whatsoever. There are believers like that right now in the Christian experience who are not moving forward. Instead, they're just spinning their tires. They're not going anywhere. Here's what you need to do. Get into the Word until the Word gets into you. Just start cross-referencing the Word of God. Start applying the Scripture, saying, yes, Lord, and being obedient to the things of God. The people, therefore, that was with Him when He called Lazarus out of His grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. That was their perception. They were looking at what had been accomplished that day. They saw that Jesus Christ had a following. There were curiosity seekers. There were those who believed deeply in Him. There were those that were just uh, getting to know Him. But in various stages, people had their interest perked. But the people were very fickle. And in a matter of days, after Jesus does some teaching, some instructing with His disciples as, as He is preparing to leave, and then as they're having the, the uh, observance of the Lord's Supper, And then as he goes out into the night and he is betrayed and taken and tried and then he is beaten, abused and crucified, all of these things to fulfill Scripture, all of these things because honor doesn't come until after humility. There's no honor without humility. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. The lesson is true. That there is the historic death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And believing on Him is the way that we are saved. We receive Him as our Savior. And uh, He comes into our life. He makes us a new creature. And He takes us to heaven when we die. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. But Jesus Christ is going to experience all of the horrors of our punishment so that we might have all the glories and all the bliss 
of heaven for all eternity so that we might have the power of God and victory over all the challenges of the world, the flesh, and the devil in this life. There is no reason for us to be defeated, to spin our wheels. There is no reason for us to be downhearted and gloomy because we have the King of kings and Lord of lords because He has done that for us. We too have victory in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. As He hung upon the cross, He was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. They took Him down off the cross after He dismissed His spirit. They laid Him in a borrowed tomb. Three days and three nights passed. On that glorious morning, He arose from the tomb triumphantly. Why, no one could withstand that power. There's nothing but glory there. There's nothing but power there. There's nothing but honor there. But before that ever happened, before that ever could occur, there had to be humility. And today, God is speaking to some hearts about the things that we're going through and the things that we're experiencing both collectively and individually. And I want you to allow the Lord to speak to your heart right now about the decision that you need to make. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and nobody is looking. And how many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Yes. Amen. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, would you pray from your heart to God? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, would you slip your hand up? And did my Savior bleed And did my Sovereign die Would He devote That sacred head For such a worm as I at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away But 
drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. the day. 